we're going to um, transition into a, uh, a Q&A period, which, which we'll do for a little bit. We'll try and close up today right around two, so we've got about 15 minutes. Um, just a reminder, we've got, we've got the room mic here, so we can try and pick up your questions. So if you would just, when you have a question, just project it out, um, that would be helpful to us. Um, in terms of ground rules for the questions, there really aren't any. Um, but, but I would especially encourage you first, if you have any things that you had questions about today in, in what Sam and what Colleen talked about, um, whether about them particularly or something they shared or, or a deeper insight, go ahead and ask those. Uh, and then as well, if you have other questions, especially ones that you'll regret not asking, um, we'll go ahead and deal with those uh, today. Um, so, who would like to kick us off? Who's got a question? Like, do you, when you say personal wrong reasons, do you mean like, oh, I'm, a, I'm, a, like, I'm afraid of talking about God or something with other people? Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Well, I, you know, during the talk, I was talking about kind of the, the stages through which I make work. So, um, so as part of that, it's, it is really important to for me to just keep going back to my understanding of who God is um, and um, exploring who he is and getting to know him more by, you know, reading scripture or going out into his creation or talking with other people about, about him. Um, essentially, like, you know, practicing out my faith because um, those are the moments that lead to the inspiration um, for the pieces, and so a lot of the times if the inspiration is right, then um, then the work shows that. Um, and there are other times where, like, I've been inspired. I, I read a lot of books on art theory, um, and there have been times when I, like, get inspired by the actual art theory of the book to explore things, and honestly, when I do those sorts of pieces, they really fall flat. And um, there's been lots of bodies, or there's been a few bodies of works where I've done that, and I don't do them anymore because the passion hasn't stayed with me, if that makes sense. Like, I've been excited about it for a couple months or so, and then it'll die off. Um, whereas, like, my passion for God and for his character and stuff, that will never die off, if that makes sense. Mm. I honestly don't tend to think of my work as, as evangelical. Um, I think of it as an expression of who I am, as, uh, as I said earlier, uh, a, a white male middle class in America who is a Christian, who has, you know, has that as a, uh, a defining characteristic, I, I would hope. Um, so I don't, I don't approach the creative act with a particular agenda other than to um, try and get the best work out. And I trust that whatever I will then present to an audience will have something germane to who I am as a believer in Jesus. Does that make sense? <coughs> so I, I just, um, I was talking to Chase about it on the break. There's the, there's two processes. There's the process of actually creating and then there's the product. And I try not to edit myself during the process. And that's the, that's the messy, ugly, like I don't want anybody to see my journals, I don't want anybody to see my studio, <laughs> when, when I'm just in the act of trying to get to that kernel of truth, that kernel of beauty, um, that will then become the thing 
that grows into something that I'm gonna give to somebody else. Process and product are two different things. Um, and I don't tend to think of it in evangelical terms for myself. Um, I've got a question. Both of you mentioned that you see your art specifically, at least it eventually, um, as having the aim of connecting with other people. Of, and, and so you, you mentioned thinking through the reality of audiences being a part of this. Um, how, how do you maintain the boundaries between, um, between feedback and criticism? How do you navigate learning when you're connecting and in the fact that you're putting yourself out there and, um, and just the, the misunderstood underlying level that is part of, I think, why we create. We want, we want to be known, we want to express, we want to connect, and so when that, how, how do you navigate both opening up and hearing and responding and creating you know, with feedback versus, versus criticism and how personal your work is? Well, oh, that's the risk, right? <laughs> you know, as a theater artist, you get reviewed, and reviewers, they're, they're, a good reviewer is going to put a performance or a piece of art into historical context, into educational context, into social context. Not all reviewers do that, and so you have to kind of consider. For the longest time, the Seattle Times art critic was, was actually the food critic. So I, I might take that into account when I read his or her description of me as an actor, right? I was delicious. You know, they're trying to use, good critics are trying to use adjectives and, and draw an audience into a better understanding of a piece of art. That's their goal, that's their job. To just tear something apart or just to praise it is, is pretty empty. And you have to remember that going into any kind of a, a public um, kind of submission of your work, whether that's a gallery show or a, or a performance piece, to go, well, I'm putting this out there, somebody's gonna comment on it, and I, I have to be willing to accept that that's somebody's opinion. And I've had people come up to me and say, I, I don't like that painting, and this is why, and just tear it apart, <laughs> and I just go, Thank you for your opinion. I think the best response is thank you. You know, because all the arguing or trying to explain myself, unless that person is really interested in a dialogue, and critics aren't interested in a dialogue, they're just, they're, they're there to critique. And if they do it well, then it should actually enhance the art. If they don't do it well, then I don't care. I don't want to care, so I stopped reading reviews. <laughs> Actually, I was like, well, somebody's opinion, because it doesn't, it's not going to change how I create, and it's not going to change what I create. So it doesn't do anything for me, which is different than if my mother sees something and she's offended by it, right? <laughs> <I'm not laughs> or, or so, you know, somebody that I'm going to be in relationship with or dialogue with. Um, I remember I wrote a piece for my dad, who, um, he's a classical bass player, he's passed now, but he's a classical bass player, and he, wanted me to write him a piece that was going to be performed. Um, and I wrote a piece that was semi-autobiographical about his life as a, as a young man in the 50s and 60s trying to make it as a musician and his parents not thinking that was a great idea. And I, <laughs> I wrote this piece and it was funny and it had music and he was gonna play the bass because he was a bass player and he was gonna sing. And I sent it to him and it was like silence. So I, I wrote to him after a couple of days, I'm like, Dad, what do you think of this piece I wrote? He's like. I can't do this piece in front of my mother. You know, I can't, I can't do this in front of my priest. You know, it's too, it's too revealing. I can't, I can't, I wouldn't be able to take any feedback from them. And, and I, he was right. So I, you know, we wrote something else. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, something that I always have to remember too is that your work's, like not everyone's gonna love your work, um, it's not gonna appeal to the masses. Um, you know, in rare cases, and really, you don't really want it to, because then it's, then it's just, it's already been done. Uh, the great thing about art is that it's always like, it's always sort of challenging the present. It's always 
sort of looking forward, um, at least in the, the sphere that I'm in. Um, and when it's looking forward, it is speaking to certain, this is good art, um, it is speaking to certain truths that we all, um, we all believe. Um, so yeah, but it, it is also challenging like the status quo. So, um, so you want there to be some pushback on, on things. Like a lot of the, the art that's in the textbooks, like people hated it. I mean, you look at Marcel Duchamp's urinal, that's like number one, it's a found urinal and he wrote not even his name on it. Our, he wrote our mutt and like that completely changed contemporary art history. Um, and then also like Pablo Picasso's uh, uh, Demoiselle de Avignon, and it's these like grotesque um, depictions of nude women, and and it and the way that he treated that, um, yeah, really en enraged a lot of people. Um, but those things are the things that are in the text. So I'm not saying like make work that's like really crazy and provocative, um, but use it as as or realize that it's going to challenge some people's perspectives and it's going to push other people's buttons, but then it's also going to resonate with people, um, other people who you can have great conversations with. And you can have great conversations with the people who it rubs the wrong way, too. Yeah, and I think part of that is, is knowing what the work is for. When Picasso painted Guernica, it was a political statement, uh, you know, and, and it raised all sorts of cane. And it's it's this massive moving work about the the power of war and the power of hatred and and that was a political statement of the time. If your work is political in nature, you will, and you should uh, ruffle feathers. You you're eliciting a response. If that's your audience, that's your goal. I think that's legit. But know what you're in for. You know, you're going to do art about the, the Muslim ban you're going to get pushback. Good for you. <laughs> you know? Chase. Well, one of the things is that I would hope that the art or the church wouldn't take advantage of of the artists that they would I mean being an artist is really hard like you're especially if you're doing a full time like your income is completely up and down so if they're ask if the church is like asking of your time and resources that they would compensate you in some way or that they would be aware that they can only ask uh, you know a certain amount from you. Um, so yeah, I hope that they like would just not take advantage of of people. And also just to realize that um, artists are kind of are kind of like out there in a sense that like you're not uh, an ar the art artist is like a vessel for God's work. And so the iterations of that are going to be like completely not completely outside of the church's control, but that um, they shouldn't try and like curate it down to um, like what I was saying before, work that's just gonna be uh, um, not challenging at all, if that makes sense. But there are like certain skill sets that um, are great to use in the church, like 
for, for design work, um, um, like for worship and, and those things are, are great, yeah. I'm, I'm cautious in my own work to ever use Jesus as a marketing tool. That, that causes me to uh, pause. You know, when you think about the Christian industry as a, as a like music, film, books, it's really relatively young. It's only about 40 years old, came out of the Jesus movement, you know, when it was just kind of hippies on the beach and, you know, it was the birth of Calvary, right? It was that whole movement, the Maranatha movement. And, and you had a few rock stars, the Randy Stonehills and the Larry Normans that, you know, they were just making music that they felt like the Holy Spirit was moving them to make and they happened to get record, record deals. And this whole kind of industry, you know, kind of grew out of that. And I, and I think the industry's come a long way. I'm not disparaging the industry as a, as a thing. Uh, I think it's fine because I think it serves a purpose now, but I think, I, I know that the first 20 years or so, the, certainly the era I grew up in as a, as a kid in the church, it was very much an us versus them scenario with the, with the marketing. If you like Led Zeppelin, you'll really like Resurrection Band. So listen to Resurrection Band because that's the Christian version of this rock music. It's, we've, intellectually, we've come a long way, right? We're not quite that rigid anymore. Um, but that was definitely the, the mentality of the, the kind of Christian culture I, I grew up around and grew up in. It was very much us versus them. And the, the marketing of Jesus, I think, unintentionally perpetuates that to this day. You know, if you like romance novels, you'll love this romance novel that's got a Christian ending. <laughs> you know, it's got Christian characters. I just, it makes me go, whoa. I, I don't set out to create with that mindset. I, I think the, the creative act, I'm gonna be cautious here, it can be, perhaps should be uh, broader than that because I think our God is, is more graceful than that. And that is not to take away from the Stephen Curtis Chapmans of the world who I think are wonderful and serve a purpose you know, within the, the kind of worship community. He also does amazing work outside the church community with you know, African relief and clean water. And you know, I mean, there are ways to to do a yes and, you know, you're serving the church and you're serving the world. And uh, I think he's a great example of that. But man, you know, 20 years ago, he's been doing this for a long time, you know, very much a part of that, you know, Jesus movement, Christian culture, you know, guy with a guitar um, marketed for a particular purpose, you know. Um, so I'm just cautious of that in my own work and I don't have the, I don't have the burden of fame. So <laughs> I don't have to worry about that on too much of a broad scale. The work I do is so, humble by comparison because it's very relational, it's very community-based. I, I don't have to worry about that. I think it's worth pointing out too that the industrialization and commercializ commercialization of art is not merely a church or Christian problem. It's, it's a modern society thing and so if anything, the church should be blamed for having a better handbook to avoid things like this and not utilizing it and just following the trend. But I also think for me, another part of this, in Ephesians 4, when Paul talks about how the body, the church functions, he says that God has given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for ministry. And I think it's very easy for churches to hear for my ministry. And so they, they assume that the direction of ministry is towards a center. And so all of you exist to use your gifts to accomplish our goals. And I think if you read it as it stands, it's exactly the opposite, that pastors, leaders, prophets exist to equip the church for their ministry. And so it's an outward flowing focus. And I think as long as you have that trajectory facing the right direction, you're much less likely to just make any Christian a cog in the machine or, or a vehicle to accomplish you know, your annual goals or, or what have you. But I think it stems from the same place. Um, that brand, organization, all of this flows from the way that we've basically tried to harness anything um, as modern Americans, and the church has fallen prey to it, even though, by definition, the church is supposed to be something different. And just one thing I wanted to add is that um, um, like adding on to what Justin says, like people 
wa- have a tendency to want to um, put things in a box and give it a description. Um, but a lot of the times once you do that, especially with like an, an arts movement or, or something like that, it kind of kills it. Um, so you constantly, you have to be okay with like a state of flux um, and a constant state of change. And I think a lot of the times the church and society can be scared of that. Um, and it is, a, it is a healthy fear to have because it does lead to checks and balances things like that, um, but yeah. Great, thank you. Another question? question. You have a great answer? Uh, <laughs> I was actually uh, talking with somebody about this the other day because they like, they're like, oh, I hate bragging about myself. Um, and I was trying to tell them, trying, trying to convey to them that really in like, th- in the arts world, um, like, I don't, t- I don't like quote my CV to somebody. Um, I talk about what I'm passionate about and that passion is what is contagious to other people and what what um, inspires them to like give me opportunities um, yeah if I understand your question it's it's um, it's both a, uh, an artistic question of like I'm trying I have this identity as a believer who's an artist but I also have to make a living or make my work known in order to get it out there is that Yeah, you do, and um, I find myself um, easily flummoxed by all of the different ways I should and could be marketing myself. So I ask for help on those things. I mean, I have a website that I maintain. Um, I have a Facebook page. I am not good at those things. I was talking to Chase about the um, the art of the artist statement, which. I'm terrible at writing an artist statement because I don't want to be like, I am so awesome, you should buy my work, you know, or I am so great, you should come see my concert, you know. The hardest thing I think for, for any artist is to try to explain who they are and why you should care. That's hard, that's hard. So I ask other people to do it for me. Other people that really have the skill set to like launch a website and make a video and any chance I can get to have somebody else talk about me, I will take, because even this today is, is not my comfort zone. I can do it, but I would rather not talk about the work and just do the work and let the work speak for itself. But you're right, in this day and age, our culture is like, well, where's your website? Have you got a video? Have you got, you know, how do I tweet you? I mean, I, I don't know, I, that's not my purview. So. I am not a great example of somebody who's like mastered that. Uh, and I, I look to other people that really know how to do that. You know, the whole artist statement thing really grew out of galleries and museums trying to make artists more accessible so they could sell more tickets and sell more art, right? It's a tool. It's a necessary tool, but man, if somebody else that's better at it that can do it, God bless them. <laughs> And so one of the things that I do to figure out how to talk about my work and, and my career is I'm constantly applying to stuff. And that can't, so like uh, exhibition proposals, residencies, open calls, um, yeah, you name it, grants. And it's really heartbreaking because you really only get like one out of 20. So get used to failure. <laughs> I think I've gotten two this week. Um, but 
you it, it it's the same thing I was saying before like everything it's constantly in flux and and that keeps it fresh and uh, it also keeps your passions fresh too and helps you so when you do come up to somebody who might be able to op offer you some sort of opportunity you have like an elevator speech you have it fresh in your mind so yeah um, like look for opportunities and if, if you're a visual artist um, like I would recommend looking at artist trust um, they have an opportunities listing and it's there's ev like everything um, you know whether you're an actor or a painter or um, or a writer they have all of these opportunities on there and then there's also um, New York Foundation for the Arts um, which is so that's based off out of the East Coast, but it's the same thing as Artist Trust. They have an opportunities listing that shows jobs too, but it's also exhibition proposals and all of those things. And some of them cost money and some of them are free, but just keep doing that and then you'll get like to where it's really solid. Yeah, um, it's like a muscle. The more you do it, mm. the, the better it becomes and the easier it is and the easier it is to talk about your own work and, and have that that elevator speech, you know, and I'm also very project oriented. So oftentimes I'm not talking about me per se, I'm talking about this next thing I'm doing. And here's my, here's my speech, here's my 30 second thing. Um, it's easier to talk about that because um, usually I'm promoting some sort of project. There's also another book. Um, it's got like a fluorescent orange cover and it's called art, like back, uh, backslash um, work. <coughs> That's a really, really great resource um, for artists to look through. It kind of goes through everything, how to write an artist statement, how to write a, a curriculum vitae, um, how to put together a website. Um, there's, I can maybe like write all of this, all, all these resources down and, and send them, send them off to people because there's a ton of things out there. Great, we got another question. So I have a separate a studio space that is separate from my apartment. Blessed, blessed to have that, and it's like a really it's a really great opportunity. Um, and I share that space with one other artist who's a close friend, and then next door, there's two other artists that are also close friends. And the the one that I share a space we're close friends because we share a space. Like I wasn't friends with him before, and. So it's really important to have like a, a tight knit um, circle um, of other creatives that you're corresponding with and you're showing your process with. Um, in terms of like presenting process, that's like, that's a really exciting idea to me. I don't know how you would do that, but that sounds cool. You should look into that. Um, yeah, so that's, that's like the number one thing. If you feel like stuck right now in your creative endeavors, like reach out to another creative. I mean, you can reach out to me um, and create a circle like that. That's what I did before I left for New York is that there was like seven or eight artists that I really admired their work and admired their work ethic and some of them I was friends with and some of I wasn't. And I got their contact information and uh, just I was t terrified uh, to do this, but I emailed them and said, hey, if you're not part of a critique group, like, I'm going to do this thing once a quarter, 
Um, I'll make drinks and serve you dinner. And from that, like, I became so connected to the people that they knew, and I also got, like, really great feedback from those people, and my work grew, like, exponentially during the, during the year and a half that I was a part of that group. And some of those people are some of my best and closest friends. Actually, two of those people are the two people that are next door to me in the studio space, so. Well, I'll give you two examples um, from my own ex creative experience. M my wife is, one, is my creative partner. We do a lot of work together. We've acted together. We write together. We do music together. You know, when you've known somebody for 25 years, 30 years, you know, you, you get into a, a, a pattern of how you create. And that was intentional when we got married. It's like, we're going to do this together, right? Um, having said that, we, we have learned how, n how to... Um, not jump into the other person's creative process too soon. And she knows not to push me to show her something that's not ready yet. And, and likewise, she'd just be like, can't read it yet. I'm not done. You know, I'll give it to you tomorrow. You, you know, just wait. And we respect each other's boundaries with that. Because we know the minute you give it to somebody else, the opportunity for, you know, criticism or a critique that you're not asking for is, is on the table, right? You open yourself up. And I have certainly done that with other people, invited a friend into my studio or played a song that wasn't done, and, and suddenly their words change the way I'm thinking about it, change the dynamic of it, and it loses its luster for me when it's too soon. And only you can know when it's ready to share. That's the risk you take, right? The other example I want to give you is that I, I actually, uh, a few years back, I purposely engaged in a process-oriented art form, improv. And I've done improv in the past. Uh, I was on an improv team for a number of years. But this particular brand of improv is, I'm going to do something up here. I'm going to set up a scenario. And then I'm going to come pick you out of the audience. And you're going to enter this with me. And we're going to do this thing together. And whatever happens, happens, right? but I still have to be in charge and I have to be okay with whatever happens. So just last month, my wife and I did a, a cabaret. We do this cabaret act and we did it for the, uh, it was the 800th anniversary of the Dominican uh, order. So think 500 Catholics in the room. It was their big celebration and we got up and I do this bit called blind date where I get up and I set up, I'm getting in a car, it's all, it's a, it's a dumb act, it's a mime act. So I'm getting in a car and I'm getting dressed and I'm getting ready and I'm, I'm, I'm buying flowers and I get to the door of, of whoever I'm going to pick and then I turn to the audience and I go and I get a, a woman out of the audience and she's my blind date. And I go through this whole thing about how we're gonna go on this date together without words, right? And I go and I, I pick up this, I pick this woman out of the audience and uh, she starts talking. And so I'm like, that's fine, you know, so she's gonna talk. I have to say yes, right? Improv, you say yes to everything. So I'm like, okay, well, yeah, she's like, yeah, you can, you can talk. And the whole goal of this bit is to get her to kiss me, right? I wanna kiss on the cheek. That's the goal, that's the, that's the end of the date, right? That's the goal. Well, I'm in the, I set up two chairs, we get in the car and we're driving and, and I get to that point where I'm like, you know, you're gonna kiss, give me a kiss. <laughs> she goes, <laughs> I'm celibate. I've given a, a, a vow of chastity. Well, the audience just lost it, right? Because they know where I'm going with this. But I, it's like, in one regard, it's a big fail, right? But in the other regard, I got the laugh. But I've purposely put myself in that situation to stretch myself as an artist to take the risk to go, I'm going to go through a process here. And the process is, is theater. It's this theater process. I don't know what's going to happen. Scary as all get out. But it's also, for me as a performer, some of the most satisfying moments um, on stage. So. Any more questions, Matthew?
Well, when I have been in situations like that before, um, you know, I, I'm obviously going to listen to what the person has to say, but I'm going to go back to my number one, to my God, and be like, <laughs> and, to <laughs> and to, like, and to scripture, and to sort of use that as a, fi- and use that as a filter for what, what the person said, and uh, I don't that's all I can say about that. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it's a series of checks and balances that's a, for, for me, uh, I think for anybody, it's a, daily, it's a daily question. Why am I doing this? Am I still on track? Am, am I doing it for the right reasons? Um, would, and if people don't like it, there's, there's, there's only two scenarios that I can think of where somebody would actually tell me I was doing it wrong, and that would be a critique of the work itself. I don't like it which is totally legit. You get to not like what I do. <laughs> and I can say I don't care, you know, to that. Which is different than I think you're doing this for the wrong reasons or I think your pride is in the way or I think you're being a jerk. You know, then it's personal, right? It's not about the work itself. It's about motivation. And, and that's the part that I think any of us, whether you're an artist or just a human being, it's that consistent coming to the altar and going, God, my tendency is towards pride. My tendency is toward arrogance. Um, check me. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of in everlasting. You know, that's the prayer. Right? For me, that's daily. Because <laughs> I got an idea a minute. And if I run with everything, uh, you know, not all those ideas are are good ideas or godly ideas. And I gotta check it. And thankfully I'm with a partner that I can have that checks and balances with. I'm in a church community that I can have that checks and balances with. There are certain people in my life, mentors, leaders, spiritual directors, that if I've really got a question, like, I'm not so sure about this, I can go to those people and say, is this right? Um, And just to give you a recent example, with the recent Muslim ban, I had this idea that I'd like to be holding peace concerts throughout the city. And I went to a number of, of people uh, in my life that uh, are coming from different walks of life, coming from different faiths, different genders, different ethnicities. I'm going, I have this idea. My mandate is to love my neighbor as myself. Can I do that in this and invite my neighbors who are Muslim and invite my neighbors who are Asian American, invite you know, my Latino friends to participate in something that is going to maybe push buttons. And I got a resounding positive. Like, yeah, I think that's a good idea. I think you can speak from, they're saying this to me, you can speak from who you are as a believer and it's applicable in this situation. Love your neighbor? Yeah, we can get behind that. I'm gonna do that from a Judeo-Christian perspective because that's who I am. (laughs) Um, But, I expect some pushback. Okay. I think it's really important to remember that the church, in terms of input in your life, and especially the reality of mutual submission and confrontation, that's not democratic. Not everybody gets a vote. And it's striking to me that, you know, when Paul has this issue going on in the Corinthian church where there's some serious sin in the midst, even as an authority in the church, even as an apostle, he doesn't lay out, he, he tells the church, you need to take care of this because the relationship is how all that stuff interacts. And um, it's not just good advice that, um, that you should know someone before you, you know, speak hard truth to them. It's an essential component of the way Christianity works. And, uh, and so, you know, you need to listen to those who know you, who have a track record of caring about you. You need to even vet criticism from the outside through the possibility. Assume you're wrong is a good Christian principle. Um, but, uh, but after that, after you've gone through the process, it's, it's not a forsaking of humility to stand your ground. You know, we're sitting in an evangelical church with German roots in the Protestant Reformation because Martin Luther was as stubborn as a brick wall. 
And that's no denial of his humility. He was always willing to recant if they could just show him in the scriptures. But without that, he refused any form of input and removed anything that would tell him to do otherwise. Um, and it still, it, it, that doesn't mean it wasn't emotional for him. He wrestled with his place and if he was a heretic himself, personally, in his private life, constantly. Um, so it doesn't remove the struggle, but he knew, he knew where the determining votes had to come from. Um, I've got a couple of questions I want to close with. So we've got one, one more, probably time for one more. Anybody? Hannah? I just don't treat them any different than anybody else. <laughs> you know, um, I think having a general love for, for people and a respect for them as artists and as human beings um, covers a multitude of anything else that could go on there. Um, so once again, I guess I don't, I don't think of my, I mean, I, I used the phrase earlier, you know, I have these, uh, these friends that are Muslim, um, and they're Syrian refugees. That's not, their, that's not their only designation in my life. They're these dear friends of ours that our, our kids go to school with their kids, and we've been in their home, and they've had dinner at our place, and I, I just, you know, we have so much more in common than we don't. I just, I don't think of it that way. So, you know, when it comes to criticism, I, I think, you know, what Justin was saying is like, you have to consider the source. Is this, a, is this somebody who has earned a place of criticism in my life? Uh, is this somebody whose opinion I respect? Are they speaking from a place of, of humility and truth and kindness? Is this a message I need to hear? Um, what are the checks and balances? Um, which is not to say it's not painful when somebody out of the blue just says, I don't like what you're doing. Sure, it's painful. I'm human. But... Um, the opinions I'm going to respect is a pretty small circle of people. As opinions, rather, I'm going to really listen to and, and pray about and take to the altar, that's a pretty small circle. Um, some of whom are Christians, right? <laughs> um, I would say I'm definitely unequally yoked in the, in the whole, like, uh, Christian um, artist friends. Most most of the people that I interact with in, in the arts community are not Christians and are really adamantly not Christians. Um, so that is like a, that's definitely a difficult one for me and I kind of touched on that and it's something that I'm really struggling through and working through right now. Um, especially in this like, it really intense political um, atmosphere that we're dealing with now where a lot of people are asking super big questions and want to uh, make work that means something and motivates other people. Um, so yeah, this is that's a struggle. And if I figure figure out something, I'll let you know. Uh, but um, just what Sam was saying, just to choose to love love those people. And um, yeah, I I don't I don't act really any differently around them than I would around my Christian friends. Um, like I said before. I'm kind of an open book. Um, I share my feelings and I cry around people a lot. Um, so, so yeah. And 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 also I have to remember that the work that I'm making, um, I feel like God has called me to make make work um, that attempts to speak to non-Christians. So having those people in my environment is super important for me. Um, hearing their interpretations of my work is very, very important. Mm. Uh, yeah. It seems to me, too, that the majority of art that's resonated with the church, and even when it hasn't, but it's been created from a Christian perspective and has developed an audience, that audience is always broader than the church. 
you know, and so like I've been for the last five years discovering all of these artists that are relatively unknown inside the church and tremendously respected outside, even though thematically and where they're coming from and even their intentions are all tremendously Christian. Um, and, and I think I, th I would be afraid if your art only jives with Christians. Like, I don't think you've really gotten to the heart of the human condition and the, the reality of the world we live in. You know, um, Tim Keller, the pastor and redeemer in, in New York, he always says that when Christianity is explained rightly, even if people don't believe it, they'll wish it were true. And I think when you look at the appeal of the Lord of the Rings uh, and when you look at um, some of these world creations that go on, um, you know, even, even with the Harry Potter series, she may... Rawlings may be just a nominal Christian who just has a Christian background, but she still kept that undercover because she didn't want to spoil the ending. And, um, and there, you know, truth resonates with everyone when it's communicated artistically. And so, so I think that validates the, the feedback. And if God graciously gives good gifts, that means he's going to give good feedback from sources that haven't earned it in the same way that he makes good work from you who haven't earned it. Um, and so uh, even me personally, when it comes to preaching, which is a relatively Christian for Christian communication, I spend a lot of time taking non-Christians out to lunch and going, how was that for you? What connected, what di didn't connect? Um, and not only do I find a better way to communicate to them, so I'm preaching to real non-Christians, not hypothetical um, schematic ones, um, but I also tend to find that the things they see give me a deeper understanding for, for myself in the, in the truth. So um, here's the last two questions I wanted to close with. Um, one is, do you guys have anything going on um, that we can come and see, be a part of in, in the upcoming calendar? What, what are you doing right now? And then second, is there anything in the local Seattle art scene that, that we should go see, that we should engage with, stuff you're excited about right now? Um, I currently don't have any, wait, I think I don't have any shows up right now. There is like one that's like ending really soon in Georgetown. Uh, but it's by appointment, so it's kind of kind of <laughs> hard to go see. But anyways, um, my studio is like all is always open. So if you guys ever want to come see my work, um, just shoot me an email. And I, I I mean that's my full time job, so I have a pretty flexible schedule. Um, I just got um, accepted as an artist member at Soil Art Gallery, which is in Pioneer Square. Um, and that place is rad. Um, they're always doing like contemporary on the edge sort of challenging work, which is my jam. Um, and I'll be part of like a, n a new members show coming up in August that I'll like blast on the internet. Um, <laughs> and I'm trying to think. Okay, soil is really cool, but oh, my friend Joe, who is like one of my best friends, his solo show is opening up at Greg Custera first Thursday of April. And he is awesome. He's a collage uh, photography dude. And this is his first solo show with this gallery who's representing him. And he's like, he's been working really, really hard on it. So it'd be cool if we showed up for that. Um, and then in August, um, I'll be part of the, oh, I already said that. Oh, and then the other thing, is there's this really great place called Interstitial. I know that's a really weird word and I don't even know how to spell it right now. But they're in Georgetown and they're like a new media sort of gallery and right now they have an exhibition up that's by this duo called Mischer, which is M-S-H-R and it involves VR um, and like electronic sort of music and it's really um, interactive and they're open on Saturdays today. Um, so you guys should really check that out because that, that duo is awesome. So, yeah. Well, I'll make a shameless plug for the theater company I work for. I work for Taproot Theater, and um, we have a show opening on Friday called The Evidence of Things Unseen by a local playwright and deals with issues of loss and faith. Really powerful show, so I would encourage you to buy tickets um, to that show. On May 22nd, uh, I am 
curating a peace concert at Taproot. Um, we've got a number of acts, various, it's a very eclectic, diverse evening. Um, uh, music and poetry, other spoken word. Um, and then we've got organizations such as World Vision, World Relief, the Perkins Center for Reconciliation. They're all going to be present to offer um, avenues of activism for refugee relief and immigration reform. So if you went on a march, that's fantastic. If you wrote a letter to your senator, great. We want to keep finding ways to be um, active in ways that make sense and that are peaceful. So it's a peaceful demonstration. Uh, I would encourage you to come May 22nd. It's a Monday night. Tell your friends. Um, if you happen to be in Paris the second week of June, my wife and children and I are performing a, um, an hour-long piece that's the words of Shakespeare set to music and movement. If you have to happen to be at the Pave d'Orsay. Um, and yeah, <laughs> right. Um, other than that, you, uh, if you ever uh, are out at a festival or at a farmer's market and you see the band A Total Fiasco, that's our band. Um, and you can see all this on my website, vancearts.com. Is there anything, Sam, going on in Seattle that you're excited about? In the I have a friend that's in the pajama game. I haven't seen that, though. It's I'm going to see it. It's at the Fifth Avenue. Um, yeah, one of Candace's students is in that show. Um, you know, I'm, I'm bad about knowing what's actually happening in town because I'm working. <laughs> I'm working hard, so I can't go see stuff. I can't think of anything else. But so come see a show at Taproot. Great. Uh, well, why don't you guys help me in thanking Colleen and Sam, thanking them for coming out, spending the day with us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Uh, really quickly, let me just close us in a word of prayer, and then you are released. God, uh, you've called your whole church to be what you've made us to be, conformed into the image of Christ, empowered by your spirit, fulfilling your call. And I pray that we, um, we would just embrace this, this unique aspect of the body of Christ, this unique um, reflection of who you are as God in the arts, and that you would help us both to engage uh, if we're on that side of the spectrum or create if we're on the other side of the spectrum to the glory of God. And I ask God that, um, that you would use the artists in this room um, whether if it's in big and noticeable ways or just in the still small voice of, of a small audience, whatever it would be, Lord, I pray um, that you would use them. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Have a good day.